Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to reintroduce to you today. Dr. Thomas Seyfried is a returning guest on our show. Be sure to check out his first appearance on Balance Body Radio on episode 60, which is one of our most fascinating discussions we've ever had all about cancer as a metabolic disease. Thomas N. Seyfried received his PhD in genetics and biochemistry from the University of Illinois in 1976. He was a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Neurology at the Yale University School of Medicine and then served on the faculty as an assistant professor in neurology. He has acquired many awards and honors from such diverse organizations as the American Oil Chemist Society, the National Institutes of Health, the American Society for Neurochemistry, the Ketogenic Diet Special Interest Group of the American Epilepsy Society, the Academy of Comprehensive and Complementary Medicine, and the American College of Nutrition. Dr. Seyfried has over 150 peer-reviewed publications and is the author of the critically acclaimed book, Cancer as a Metabolic Disease, on the origin, management, and prevention of cancer. Dr. Thomas Seyfried, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you back to Balanced Body Radio. Oh, thank you very much, Casey. It's uh, nice to be back again. It's it's so nice to have you. I love your work. I followed it for a long time. As we talked about last time, this is an area and a topic that's very near and dear to my heart after having watched my mom pass away of breast cancer and dealing with those treatments for seven and a half years. Um, and mm-hmm. man, I shudder to think of some of the things I would do. Her favorite treat while she was getting treatments, she would we would bring her these hot ciders that you could get at Starbucks that basically Mm. had, it was pure sugar and then pumped with more of those flavoring chemicals and then topped with whipped cream. We would give that to her during her treatments. We didn't know Mm. any better. I mean, this is like 2005, 2006, but it, it, it just goes to show how important the work that you do is. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you, uh, Casey, it's still, that goes on today. A a vast majority of, of oncologists, have never heard that sugar can provoke the growth of the tumor, um, which I always, because I always find astonishing. Uh, It really is an eye opener to know that the very people that are treating you are almost clueless as to the nature of the biology of of the problem they're treating. And that's scary Um, because I always thought everybody knows it should be common knowledge that uh, the tumor uh, requires the carbons from glucose for metabolite synthesis so it can grow and that you would feed a patient the very material that facilitates the growth of the tumor is kind of like negligence um but it goes on all the time and and then when patients or people tell uh the either the attending nurse or the oncologist that you know uh, sugar is very bad for the tumor they would say, well, I never heard that. Or where did you hear that? Or it's like, they never heard of it. And, uh, you know, one of the important issues is to uh, um, bring that, bring that message to the public, uh, that uh, high sugar, that cancer cells need sugar for growth. Yeah. And the sugar is glucose mm. and your table sugar that you had in that drink uh, is uh, table sugar. It's con- it contains uh, one, one glucose attached to a, fru- a fructose and um, and what happens then is the the fructose also participates in in ways to provoke the cancer as well as the glucose molecule. So the thing you want to do is lower blood sugar as much as you can if you were diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, absolutely, especially at the timing of the treatment. It's so critical, and I'm so glad you're willing to come back to get that message out. And I definitely want to go there and talk to you about some of the advances we've had in the last few years. But before we do, I was reminded that you and your work was somewhat involved with George Cahill. And I, 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 
I can't quite remember. I think I may have found some of his studies through listening to you on the Peter Atia mm-hmm. The Drive podcast where you referenced it. Right. But can you talk yeah. a little bit about what it was like to work with him and some of the things that you guys were studying? Well, you know, uh, George had a, had an incredible knowledge of um, human physiology. And uh, his group, he was the head of the Joslin Diabetes Center down here in Boston. And uh, for years, he had studied um, energy metabolism in, in people, uh, especially in people that were fasted. And he wrote many of the seminal articles on starvation in man. And he and I, when we had t- a chance to be together and talk deeply about the concepts, um, you know, I learned so much uh, from him regarding ketone energy metabolism and uh, how, how humans can, how long they can go uh, without eating. He, he also relayed to us the information that he collected at the Mays prison camp in Northern Ireland, where Bobby Sands and 10 of the uh, other young Irishmen uh, starved themselves to death. And um, Cahill, Cahill told me that, um, and these were young Irishmen, and they died with water only anywhere from, I don't know, 65 to 85, 90 days of age without, without any food. Um, but he, he, he said, you know, up until 40 days, uh, uh, no water is, or no food is good. You, your body has a very healthy response to calorie restriction or what we call water only fasting. But then there's a threshold that passes depending on the amount of body fat that the person would have. Um, a threshold passes where it then becomes very pathological. And he even relayed to me a situation where one of the people that were in that group apparently uh, wanted to change his mind, but even infusion of metabolites and nutrients was unable to stop the momentum of the body's capacity for self-digestion. And he said the last muscle to go was the diaphragm and which controls our breathing the muscle that allows oxygen to come into the lungs. And these, these starved guys were drowning in their own body fluids. So starvation is an extremely horrific way to die for anyone. But Cahill went through the path from therapeutic value, uh, processes from fasting to the pathological consequences of starvation. So it is a transition. And it depends on how much body fat you have as to how long you can go. Because he starved some guy from the post office. And he, he was very candid in his stories uh, about the various people that he would fast. Um, and I guess uh, he's got this one guy, he lost his job from the post office. I weighed like 400 pounds. And he lost 230 pounds in just under a year. Uh, and he looked great and he was doing well. And there was a, the other documented case is that guy, Angus Barberi from, um, from Scotland, who even went longer uh, with the, because the, your, body, your body stores energy. We evolved as a species to store energy, mainly because the foods that we ate uh, had, had very, they were lean meats and vegetables and, you know, whatever we could find. So we were in a constant ketotic state. Um, so any glucose that we could get from any source would be immediately stored, if possible, either as glycogen or low, maybe even fat, because most of our ancestors were not fat. 
you know, they didn't, obesity was probably non-existent in the Neolithic period. That's right. In the paleo, in the paleo, I should say the paleolithic period. Um, so, so we are supremely designed through evolutionary biology to store energy. Uh, the problem is over a short, relatively short 10,000 year period, we went from millions of years or at least 2 million years in a starved state to in a, in a, in a state where high processed carb foods are everywhere makes perfect sense. The obesity, whenever you see these obese people walking around, that's evolution in action. That's right. Those people had the, the they had the resource, they were the survivors of these starved periods. And now their ancestors having the same composition are storing so much energy, the body rarely excretes glucose. If you have type one diabetes or sometimes type two diabetes, rarely does the body excrete glucose. It stores glucose in the form of fat. You, that's why you can't get fat eating fat. You get fat eating sugar. That's right. I mean, a lot of people don't understand this. Low fat, low fat means you're going to get really fat on that diet because it has high carbohydrate. That's right. This mentality has been driven into us by Ansel Keys and a variety of other people telling us that eating fat food, making, eating us, making us fat, you get fat from fat. No, you don't. You get fat from sugar. And sugar is a, a commodity, a metabolite that was always in short supply in our evolutionary past, okay? But now when you have so much sugar, you create systemic inflammation and you have a linkage of, of this to all the major chronic diseases, cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's disease, um, all of these different diseases, cardiovascular disease, mental, emotional disorders, uh, almost everything that you can think of in form of a chronic disease is in some way linked to an abnormal uh, body metabolism initiated by excessive amounts of sugar, uh, highly, uh, high fructose corn syrup and glucose and all this kind of stuff. There's no wonder. It shouldn't be surprising that we have an uh, obesity epidemic. We're, 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 we're geared to want sugar because it was our form of storage for glycogen for the muscles. So if a tiger was chasing you, you could blast off pretty quick. So muscle, can, muscle holds its own sugar. It doesn't share, but uh, anything excess is stored as fat and fat can be mobilized for energy. Like, like Cahill said, these starved people can go, if you're fat, you can go a long time without food. Yeah. You know, so, uh, so anyway, we would have these very, very interesting and involved uh, discussions about his vast knowledge of what the physiological changes were in the human body during the process of fasting, therapeutic fasting and starvation. Yeah. So they were, they, and he had blood work and he had all these anecdotal reports and it was just, you couldn't help but be enthralled by what he was saying so uh, in these cases. Yeah. So, and then Bud Veach also fill, uh, you know, did a lot of the um, um, biochemical mechanisms by which all this was happening. So to have, to have Richard Veach and George Cahill uh, in, in here talking to my students for hours uh, and giving lectures, I mean, it was just unbelievable. That's so unbelievable. when I wrote papers, I, I used to run the stuff by Veach and Cahill to make sure I wasn't making any mistakes. So I, I had the two most knowledgeable people on the planet looking at things that I, I would write and I would run it by them first. And I, if they said, no, 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 this changed this, or no, you got to be careful with that, or I would learn from them. So when I published these papers, they actually had the eyes of Veach and Cahill uh, that had examined this information. So if people say, I don't know what I was talking about, well, they don't know, because I talked to the two gurus that knew. And I learned, 
I learn from them. Wow. And you need to learn from people that understand things and, uh, and have evidence and, and worked in the fields. And then you learn from them. And then you begin to see what they told you in, 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 in reality when you're working on this. What an amazing so, point. I love that. So I have to tell you, I, I should never have found low carbohydrate and ketogenic diets. I'm a personal trainer, but I had the advantage of working on a metabolic cart for over a decade. So I was measuring people's metabolic rates at rest mm -hmm. and as they were exercising. And so over time, I started to learn that as we change the nutrition, we can change how the body's using different fuel sources. And at the time yeah. that I was really starting to dive more into low carbohydrate diets, and their effect on the bodies on one of the on one of the graphs that we would show people we would show them how their bodies would store energy and we'd have a column that would say here's how many calories of carbohydrates your body stores for most men we assume that was about 2000 calories and then we would show mm -hmm. them how much fat they were storing and that was based on their body fat percentage extrapolated to how many calories of fuel was there and you're right like if somebody was lean even they would have tens of thousands of calories of fat available for the body and if somebody was obese that could be 400,000 500 100,000, yeah, yeah. huge, huge numbers. Yeah. But I, was, I would look at these numbers and I would say like, okay, well, I know you can run most of the tissues on fat. There's other tissues that you can't run on fat. So seemingly the only other source would be these carbohydrates, but these carbohydrates are going to run out at some point. It's a finite number. And, and it was Cahill's, I think it was the 40 day starvation study that showed how the fuel partitioning would change over time. And it completely yeah. blew my mind. It was so fascinating. Yeah, well, you know, uh, when you take in large amounts of fat, like on a ketogenic diet, you, you either burn the fat on the spot or, or you excrete it, okay? You can't store, what you can store is the, if you have triglycerides, the uh, glycerol backbone, uh, 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 the glycerol, two, gl two glycerol backbones can be uh, synthesized into a glucose molecule in the liver. And so you can, you can, through the process of gluconeogenesis, but you have to burn energy to make uh, glucose, you, to conjugate two gl glycerol molecules takes energy. So you get, you get energy, uh, uh, you are using some energy to, to synthesize the glucose. It's not like drinking uh, a, a, a sugar drink, you know, where you have all this, you didn't earn anything in that sugar drink. You didn't use any of your own uh, met metabolites. But, but yeah, so we, we usually see an excretion uh, of fat. We, we did some, we did a study, we haven't published it, but we fed the mice the ketogenic diet, uh, and we did we analyzed all the lipids in the diet before we fed it to them, and then their fecal pellets would turn like kind of whitish, and we isolated and purified the lipids from the fecal pellets of the mouse, and the pattern of of lipids was like card almost the same, uh, so in one end out the other. So you, now they can get fat on ketogenic diets if you give allow them to eat it at libidum. Like some, some, if you have a little flavoring in there, I mean, but there again, you have so many thousands of calories coming into the body. So uh, humans, if they eat ketogenic diets, usually uh, fat will um, sensitize the eighth cranial nerve, the vagus nerve, which has appetite suppressant. So uh, through the hormone cholecystokinin. So humans eating a lot of fat, you know, they, oh, I don't, you know, they, I'm full, I don't want any more and, you know, this kind of thing. Sometimes the mouse will not, uh, they're, they're kind of driven. Uh, and again, it depends on the composition of the diet. Some mice will eat ad libitum but lose weight, which is what humans do. And then other, other ketogenic diets, commercially prepared, sometimes taste good. And the mouse will pound down that stuff and get fat and get very sick. Um, so people, people have to understand it has to be uh, a regulated 
uh, amount of food. Um, and, and I think uh, Jeff Volick at Ohio State is doing a lot of these same kinds of studies, working with extreme athletes and looking at the, the types of metabolites from ketogenic diets and this kind of stuff. But it's a fascinating field, and we're learning more and more about it. And, uh, um, you know, as we publish more papers and look at the effects on various diseases and outcomes of, uh, of uh, performance, uh, we'll begin to learn more and more about this. But right now we have an obesity epidemic, uh, which is creating massive amounts of sick people through various amounts of chronic diseases. And I think uh, the education to manage that needs to get out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think back even on the nutrition certification I have to pass every two years. If that, if some of that Cahill information would have been included in my textbook, like that, that's yeah. such a game changer. As you're learning how the body is keto adapting, the different tissues yeah. are using ketones preferentially. The need for gluconeogenesis, like you said, is actually going down drastically. So you don't even need that much of it. You know, in, in this textbook, it tells me keto uh, gluconeogenesis is a swear word. It means you're taking up muscle tissue. And, and getting rid of it. And I've never seen that happen when somebody is keto adapted. And, and it was those studies that helped me understand that. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah well, that's the thing that, I mean, our fat storages are designed to give us energy without targeting our muscle mass. And uh, because we need the muscle, to, to, it's a survival organ. Uh, liver, liver does not burn ketones. They make, it makes ketones, but it can burn fatty acids. So uh, the liver can get energy from fatty acids and also uses the fatty acids to make ketone bodies. So uh, our body is a supreme um, machine. Uh, every organ in the body works in unison with the other organs. Uh, brain, uh, uh, there's a tremendous brain-gut relationship. Uh, liver, kidneys, they all work together. And uh, you know, when one organ goes bad, you know, you have these repercussions throughout the body leading to uh, uh, problems in other organ systems. In other words, you've, you lose metabolic homeostasis. It's an entire organism-driven uh, 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 event or new um, uh, environment. So your, your metabolic environment internally changes dramatically. But we evolved to do that. As I said, we're a starved species. During the ice ages and stuff, guys were there. You know, they would find ways, their ingenuity to find food in the in these different places. Um, Eskimos, I mean, look at that; those guys eating fat and blubber every day. I mean, uh, they survived really well. No cardiovascular disease, no cancer, none of these kinds of all these crazy things that we have today are the the results of a Western diet and lifestyle. That's right, and it's killing us. <laughs> It's killing. Yeah. It's killing. It, it's so sad. And, and you're right. Like, just go walk around and look at people in real life today. And they are definitely struggling. It is, it has gotten really, really bad and, and probably much worse since the pandemic started. Yeah. And, and the drugs were given people, uh, these are band-aids and most of the drugs have had adverse effects affecting other things. And you can become dependent on drugs. Um, and you know, I got, oh, people say, I, I need a drug for my blood sugar. I need a drug for the cholesterol. I need a drug. That's all bullshit. You know, your body will heal itself if given the opportunity, you know, but, but most people don't want to give up the, uh, the stuff that makes uh, them happy. You know, I mean, big jelly filled donut. Are you kidding me? So, uh, people, <laughs> you know, they're looking at that, you know, but all that stuff is good in, 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 in regulated amounts. The problem is you go to the supermarket today and every, every, every row has foods that are loaded with, uh, uh highly processed uh, foods and sugar, and that's killing us. Um, you know, it's given us Alzheimer's disease. It's given us cancer, cardiovascular disease, you know, type two diabetes, hypertension, 
uh, all, you name it, all these chronic diseases are the results of the Western diet and lifestyle. Yep. You know, so, I mean, and then what are we going to do? Make more drugs. Uh, and then people, you see some people, they have like a, a, a tackle box full of different colored pills. Yeah. Oh, today I got to take the yellow ones, the red ones, the orange ones, the green ones. You know, it's like, give me a break. Um, you know, but, that, and then that puts everybody into a, a compromised uh, health. They don't, they don't want to um, exercise, right? God forbid someone should unask their car to go in the McDonald's to get a hamburger. They got to sit in the line of the car. So some guy puts it into the car from the, from the window, you know, um, you talk about lazy, no exercise, eating highly processed. And then they wonder, Oh, I got pancreatic cancer. Oh, I got high blood pressure. Oh, I got type two by what do you mean? It's perfectly expected. Yeah, it is. It's, it's not a mystery. It not is. a mystery at all. No. Nope. When I see the line of cars wrapping around the building of the soda store down the street at like 2 p.m. Yeah. in the afternoon with all these people yeah. loading up on all this soda with additional flavorings pumped in and sugar cookies. Yeah. It's like it's and, and given today's state, it's almost like at least you did get into your car. Most people are ordering their food at home anyway. People are doing Grubhub all the time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> That's true. Also, it's like um, the, they give them a pandemic. Oh, everybody has to deliver stuff, you know. Uh, but think about our ancestor. He's hungry. He's got to track down some deer through the woods, hit him with a bow and arrow or try to trap him some way, carve him up, you know, eat the meat, uh, no bread, no potatoes, you know, um, and he worked his ass off trying to get that. And now today's we, we drive up to the, the window and they hand out the McDonald's hamburgers through the window to you. Yep. <laughs> So bad, man. <laughs> or a co and to go with a big Coca Cola or yeah. or a frap. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then people wonder, oh, well, why can't see? Oh, I got you know macular degeneration. Of course you do. You're lucky you have only that. Yeah. You That's know. Right. Uh, it's yeah. right. It's it it is. It's so sad. And once you get on the other side and see the deception and what's happened, it it, it yeah. You you understand it much better, and you wonder how you could never see it before. But a lot of people yeah. there you. When, when I live this way and I keep my carbohydrates very, very low and I eat fat and protein and I walk around my neighborhood, nobody makes money on me. I can live yeah. all yeah. day on 15, 10, 15 bucks a day for food. It yeah. yeah. takes me less yeah. than an hour to prepare and I don't go see the doctor. I don't need to see the dentist. Nobody makes no. any money on me. No. Well, that's the way it should be for most people. But the doctor, the medical profession is rolling in the, in the, in the money seeing all these sick people coming in with all kinds of chronic diseases. You can make a lot of money on a chronic disease, That's right? An acute heart attack or something, the poor patient's dead. But, uh, you know, you get, uh, one of these chronic diseases, you can squeeze a lot of money out of that, out of that guy. Uh, and then sometimes he's a patient for life. You know, you're, you're giving him stuff for the rest of his life. So, yeah. So, I mean, these are all the problems, uh, of, of our society. And I think that until, until information, accurate information comes out, um, we're not going to change this. And, and I feel bad about the uh, physicians being trained in the medical schools. They, they are being trained as, as guys who band-aid all these things. That's right. They're not trained to help their patients know how they got into the situation in the first place. Yep. They don't tell them that the very last thing you want to do is take a drug. I don't care what kind of a drug it is. The last thing you want to do to help yourself is to take a drug. You know, maybe in a, uh, uh, a drug for, um, for acute management at the beginning and then get off those drugs as soon as possible. So, uh, but you know, 
People like a lot of people like drugs. They they almost feel like they're not part of the crowd until they can boast that they take more drugs than the other guy. Yeah, you know, like what a mentality is this? This is nuts. No, it's but hey, yeah, but a lot of people are doing this, right? A lot. I would say the majority of people are doing this. Totally. I think about your work in the past with epilepsy specifically. We've had a guest on who suffers with epilepsy, and she told us how she was managed over time. They don't talk about diet. They give her a drug when that they they expect that there will only if it does work, it'll work temporarily. So when that's done, they give you a different drug. When that doesn't work, they give you two drugs. And when that's done, they say, well, maybe you should you should change your diet. It's it's like it's the last thing that's mentioned. Okay, this this was I I was involved in those studies or not. I was involved when all the all this was going on with the ketogenic diet. It had been used since 1921 by Wilder at the Mayo Clinic uh, to manage epilepsy, and it was quite effective. Then uh, certain pharmaceutical drugs came along in the 1930s and 40s, which seemed to block seizures, but these drugs had a lot of adverse effects. And now over the years, they've made the cousin and the the cousin of this drug, cousin of that drug, and and all of this. And and, uh, many of the major medical schools especially always said, well, the ketogenic diet's hard to do, it's unhealthy. And we don't know if it really works, uh, despite the massive publications and anecdotal. You never did, they told uh, us at the time, you guys never did a clinical trial to prove that the ketogenic diet is a powerful therapy for managing seizures. So uh, a group of us, not me, but my, my colleagues from England and the United States, Helen Cross and Beth Zupek Kenya, uh, uh, supported by Charlie Foundation, uh, did a clinical trial that absolutely proved that ketogenic diet was superior to the majority of drugs for managing for ma- managing epilepsy. But just just like you said, Casey, even when the clinical trial was done, they still pushed the drugs. And when the drugs don't work, then they say, "Oh, maybe diet." They should be saying the diet first. If the diet doesn't work, then might you might want to consider a little bit of a, and they do this with the with the cancer too, and they'll 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 say, oh, the ketogenic diet for cancer. There's no clinical trials. I won't believe it until the clinical trial is done. Well, well, you're going to do the same thing. Clinical trial will be done, and you still won't believe it because it's not part of what you've been trained to know. And if you're not trained to know how to manage chronic diseases with metabolic approaches, you're never going to embrace this. So you have to train the physicians. The medical schools must reevaluate their training programs. And who writes the training programs for the medical schools? A lot of the pharmaceutical companies do. So, so, so uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very difficult to change the system. And then you're telling people, oh, you got to eat this, this fat diet rather than eat the jelly donut. And they don't want to hear that either. So, uh, um, so, but you know, what are you going to do? Uh, but then they complain when they get cancer, or heart disease, or whatever. Oh, you know, then we'll take a bunch of pills to try to and keep the keep the momentum going. And every night on television, you hear all these drug companies, you know, peddling their their stuff on TV with, and then they go through all the adverse effects real quick at the bottom, you know, because they don't want people to really know how bad that stuff is for you. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a it's a crazy situation. Um, but yet people are willing to pay all the insurance companies pay this and all this money. I mean, this is nuts. And, and I think it's, it's affecting national security. You know, uh, you want to talk about it, a threat to national security, taking the very valuable 
nature of our, 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 our resources and throw it into, into all these wasteful drugs and things. It's yeah. just like, and then the United States Army can't get enough healthy, qualified people to be in the Army anymore. That's right. Can you believe that? They have to have like preclinical training sessions or something to get the, the, the fat off these people so, so that they can run a half a mile without dropping dead. Yeah. You know, their bones are weak. I mean, I mean give me a break. Crazy. You know, um, yeah. I mean, this is nuts. And uh, but, and the federal government doesn't do anything about it. That's right. I mean, this is a national security issue, and they don't do anything. And they're feeding the the pharmacy. They're oh, and they're bought and paid for by by big big companies and things. Uh, it's just uh, hey, as as Cahill would say, I could go on, but I won't. <laughs> you wow. always used to say that to us. I could go on, but I won't. I love that. I love that. No, I always forget every year I'll, I'll repurchase satellite TV so that I can watch football games. And so I go like yeah. eight months with no, you know, live TV and then, and then four months with it. It always surprises me that first game of the year, how many of those commercials minutes long yeah. commercials with all yeah. these side effects, like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like this is the yeah. best we can do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean to say that, that that this product could kill you is an abomination. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you know, there's a, a threat of death. What? Well, you should be arrested. Why would you give anything to another human being that has the remote possibility of killing them? That's right. I mean, isn't there any? Isn't there any? Um, um, isn't there any? You got Morgan and Morgan against all the uh, car accidents. Yeah, they should have some one of those guys go after these uh, drug companies for killing people. Oh, it doesn't happen that often. Maybe you know, a hundred, uh, uh, ten out of a uh, uh, out of a thousand people. But that's those ten people are no longer with us because of that that drug you gave them. That's right. Too many. Uh, yeah. It's unbelievable. That's crazy. Unbelievable. So let's talk cancer specifically. The last time we had you on was about 20 months ago. You have talked about this and written about this, which I absolutely love. In that time, we've managed to launch a giant telescope a million miles into the air that's taking these most incredible pictures, looking back literally billions and billions of years to the beginning of the universe. That that telescope could spot a penny from my house in South Jordan, Utah, 20 miles away at the University of Utah. Could spot a penny. Amazing yeah, advances and all kinds of different things. And so I brought you on to tell us all of the amazing advancements in our cancer treatment. Well, you know, I used that same uh, opening for our new big paper that just came out in, um, in oncology, uh, Frontiers in Oncology, where, where I, I in, in the case of glioblastoma, the very deadly brain cancer that uh, killed Ted Kennedy here in Massachusetts, John McCain in Arizona, and President Biden's son, Bo Biden, they all died. And many, 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 many others have died from glioblastoma, uh, a, a brain cancer. And in my opening uh, paragraphs, I actually indicated that considering cons uh, there has been no major advance in uh, improving survival for glioblastoma in 100 years. Okay, so I said, consider all the advances in science and technology that have happened in this country in 100 years, and you're still dealing with a tumor where you've made no advances. And the Webb telescope is an exact example. You have a telescope that now can see the origins of the universe in, in, in the way it works, and it's orbiting a million miles from Earth. What a technological achievement. And yet, you have made no advance in keeping people alive that have glioblastoma and many other advanced like lung cancer, pancreatic cancer, you can go down the list. Uh, why are we making no advances in cancer when we make so many advances in other parts uh, 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 of our society? 
right? And the answer is um, the, 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 the theory that drives the field for cancer management is incorrect. They're working on an incorrect theory as to what the nature of the disease actually is. So when the theory is wrong, there will be no advance. So the current theory of cancer today is the somatic mutation theory, which is sponsored by the National Institutes of Health and National Cancer Institute, all the major pharmaceutical companies, all the major academic institutions throughout the world are treating and developing drugs for cancer based on the somatic mutation theory. And that says that cancer is caused by random mutations that lead to a dysregulated cell growth. Okay, this is incorrect. We now know that cancer is a mitochondrial metabolic disease driven by abnormal energy metabolism because the organelle in the cell, the cancer cell is defective, the mitochondria. Therefore, the cell must ferment. It can't use oxygen for energy. So it uses a fermentation mechanism. Well, now everything can become very, very simple because there's only two fermentable fuels that we have defined as the sugar glucose and the amino acid glutamine. These are the two prime fermentable fuels driving cancer, all cancers. They're all very similar in being fermentative. So all we have to do is target the availability of these two fuels while transitioning the body over to a non-fermentable fuel, which is ketone bodies and fatty acids. Cancer cells can't use those fuels because the mitochondria are defective. The problem with this, what I just told you, it's, it's too simple and no one has yet come up with a business model to how, how we can replace the revenue generation. I even said this in the paper. How do we re replace revenue generation? Uh, with, a meta, with metabolic therapy. There's no business model for metabolic therapy, even if it works and we can, we can reduce cancer. Like Biden said the other day, the president said, we want to reduce cancer deaths by 50% in 25 years. That's what he said uh, uh, last week here uh, when he was visiting Boston. And I said, we can do that in 10 years, uh, just maybe less, five years. We just have to change the, 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 the theory. And the theory, let, let me tell you something. We, uh, for uh, 1,400 years, it was thought by astronomers that the Earth was the center of the solar system. And the astronomers were trying to figure out the movement of the celestial bodies with the Earth as the center of the solar system. And 1,400 years of epicycles could not figure out all the changes that would occur in these celestial bodies in their orbits using the Earth as the center of the solar system. As soon as Copernicus, Galileo, and Kepler put the sun in the center of the solar system, everything made sense. It was a simple model, everything made sense. But we had to uh, uh, kill Giordano Bruno, hold him upside down, burn him to death, because he, he supported the, um, uh, the Copernican model. Um, but we had to go 1,400 years before the church and other institutions finally realized, hey, we made a mistake. Um, how long is it going to take before the cancer industry recognizes that cancer is not a genetic disease? It's a mitochondrial metabolic disease. And once the theory changes, the solutions will be apparent, easy, non-toxic, and will save thousands, millions of lives. Yeah. But we can't change that theory because there's no replacement business model.
Can you believe this? It's crazy. And yeah, but that's the truth. And that's the that's the God's honest truth. There is no business model to drop the cancer death rate that we already have in place. You know, so and when you tell people this, oh, they get really upset. I don't believe it. Where's the clinical trial? Blah, blah, blah. They don't even want to look at the evidence to support what I just said. Plenty of evidence. Yeah. Plenty of evidence. That goes back a long time. I mean, you and I talked last time about Otto Warburg, a, a Jew yeah. that lived in Germany that they kept in Germany. They, that That's how much they valued his work. And he was finding that. Yeah. We've talked to Travis Christofferson and Sam Apple, yeah. who's written extensively about that. And all we have a history of knowing what is going on here, at least having a yeah. better idea. And, and it, it all goes back to what you mentioned before, which is understanding the biology. Once you understand yeah. the biology, now you can come up with better ideas ideas and ways to treat the cancer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and but, and, but I, you know, I, I, I struggle to train the students to do this as well. Um, they, people are memorizing all these signaling cascades and gene expression profiles and, and people are dying in the clinics day and night. 1,600 people every day in the United States are dying from cancer. And these are often horrific deaths. These are not like, you know, they're, they're, you suffer, you pain, you, you have all kinds. Oh, it's just, it's a slaughter. And, and it doesn't have to happen. This is the thing. It does not have to happen. Yet, when someone gets is diagnosed with cancer, they go to their top medical schools, Dana-Farber, MD Anderson, Sloan Kettering, the Fred Hutchinson, Moffitt Cancer Center, and they get met with an army of white coats who have a plan for your cancer that involves toxic chemicals, radiation, or, or these absurd uh, immunotherapies based on the gene theory. Uh, I mean, they say, oh, this is going to be good for you. It's good for a few people. But it's not moving the needle, the survival needle, needle at all. Yes, there are some people who can survive radiation, chemo, and immunotherapies. Yes, there are. But a lot of these people pay a very significant price for that survival. You know, they're, they're plagued with all kinds of adverse health events for the rest of their lives. And their overall survival on the planet is usually less. They die from complications of something else. Unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. But how do you get the word? I don't know. I mean, we publish all these papers. We write the, the, the mechanisms in excruciating detail. We provide preclinical evidence. We have case reports, one after another after another. Uh, and nobody wants to believe it, except the people that survived. They say, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, so, it's, it's amazing. The, this word has to get out. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I, I don't know what it takes. I mean, I mean, and, and then, you, and, and, um, the, the clinicians who, who we tell, I tell the cancer patients, they should ask their clinicians three simple questions. Number one, is the treatment you're proposing for me based on the mitochondrial metabolic theory or the somatic mutation theory? Number two, is the treatment you are proposing for me going to target the glucose and glutamine that's driving the dysregulated growth of my, of my, of my tumor? Number three, is the treatment you're proposing for me uh, going to enhance the health and vitality of the normal cells while you're slowly degrading my tumor cells? I says, if you can get an answer, the answer that that oncologist will give you will, will predict or could predict your destiny on the planet. So, uh, and, you, and patients who go in and ask their oncologist, oh, the, the guys get angry, throw the person out. Oh, you don't know. It's like, why are you reacting this way? Why? Because you don't know the biology of the disease you're treating. And they get embarrassed. I mean, this is scary. When you're being treated by people who don't understand the biology of the disease they're treating, I mean, you put it's a crapshoot. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just tragic in every way. At every level, cancer th today is a tragedy. 
and it does not have to be that way. That's the that's the tragedy. Yeah. Is we know yeah. it's a tragedy, but it doesn't have to be that way. But it is. Yep. Yep. I, it, it's just incredible. Absolutely you're, incredible. You're mentioning that suffering again. I had a front row seat to all of that, and yeah, the cancer was terrible, but the treatments were absolutely awful. And the, the days after certain treatments, watching my mom just in, in utter pain, totally yeah. nauseated, just just yeah. suffering the whole time. It was crazy. So so let's assume I know none of that. I don't know how to ask those three questions. Let's say today I get a diagnosis of cancer. I go to the standard of care. What things should I expect? What is the normal kind of sequence of events of treatments, how we handle things today? Well, I mean, you know, you have all these uh, punch biopsies that they'll take of the tissue, which again can provoke uh, inflammatory oncotaxis. Uh, But we have a lot of non-invasive ways. I, I think one of the things that Biden... Uh, President Biden in his talk did mention was a liquid biopsy, which I think is something for the future. We don't want to throw everything out because there are some things that are good. Uh, Liquid biopsies are in their uh, very uh, infantile or or early stages. Let's put it there. It's a very beginning technology, but there's a lot of false positives and false negatives associated with it, but it could improve over time. So this is, that is this is basically measuring blood to see if I've got certain markers that can indicate yeah. the cancer's growing. Yeah. Got it. Yes, yes, absolutely. So you have to have a, a, a battery of markers that have been established as being uh, with a relatively high high degree of probability that can predict that you have a particular type of cancer uh, somewhere in your body, and those markers could say, okay, you have a, a beginning neoplasm. Uh, therefore, we can then institute metabolic therapy to try to eliminate eliminate that, um, because uh, right now the treatments are usually extremely toxic. Um, you know, sometimes uh, a cocktail of toxic, poisonous drugs uh, followed by radiation, and then oftentimes an immunotherapy, one of the uh, PDL1 uh, type uh, immunotherapies. But all that's based on. Um, try, uh, on, a, on a somatic mutation theory, that there's a mutation in that cell that's causing the cell to be growth dysregulated. Uh, that's completely untrue. The cell is growth dysregulated because the organelle that controls the cell cycle, the mitochondrion, is defective. And when the cell has defective mitochondria, it falls back on an ancient fermentation pathway that existed on the planet before oxygen so it's before ox, 2 billion, 2.5 billion years ago. So the cancer cell is doing nothing more than falling back on the ancient fermentation pathways driven by fermentation fuels, which are glucose and glutamine. So, uh, and the treatments that we're giving to the cancer patients free up massive amounts of glucose and glutamine. As a matter of fact, with the brain cancer, as I said, the reason why we have not made any progress in managing glioblastoma in one hundred years is because the radiation that they give to the patient frees up massive amounts of glutamine in the tumor micro environment and the brain swells. And in order to shrink the brain, you got to give high dose steroids, which bring blood sugar to very high levels. Okay. So, so where the two fuels driving the beast are made in abundant quantities by the very treatments they're given to these people. Consequently, 90% of the people are dead in, in 15 to 20 months because of the treatments. And then they say, well, we got to do something. Yeah, don't do radiation. That's number one, you know, but yet they do it and they do it over and over again. And I published papers showing exactly how the standard of care is killing these GBM patients. 
and it goes in one ear and out the other. And then we take a, a, pa a patient like Pablo Kelly. He, he doesn't want any radiation, doesn't want any chemo. And now he's out eight years and uh, we're defining the mechanism. And we can have a lot of Pablo Kellys. We can have a lot of long-term survivors. And I got papers here, but guys, advanced lung cancer. We did it in our Greek uh, thing. This is uh, non-smell lung, lung cancer uh, with metastasis to the brain. This guy's doing fine 11 years out. Wow. Now he did stand he did standard of care, but it didn't work. Then we put him on the metabolic stuff and he's doing fine. So uh, how many more people can we, why, I, I think we can change the definition of terminal cancer. You have cancer. It's just going to be some sort of a thing you're going to have to deal with. I mean, you, I mean just live with it. Uh, it may not go away and it may go away completely. We don't know, but you, we can live with it. We don't have to be killed by it and or killed by the, by the therapies that they're using. Do you know how many people are dying of the 1,600 people a day that are dying? How many of them are dying from the treatments? You know, let me give you an example. It was in the Wall Street Journal. I, I, I get this information from the Wall Street Journal. I said, I told my students, you get a lot of good cancer information from the Wall Street Journal. Forget about reading the textbooks. You just got to know, you know, what pharmaceutical company is making the biggest money on these drugs. So, so uh, uh, Paul Allen of the Microsoft fame was one of the richest men in the world. He has lymphoma. He goes to Fred Hutch, and Hutch out in uh, Seattle, and he's dead in two weeks after he goes in there. You know, kidney failure, heart failure. That's not from the cancer. That's from the treatment. Same thing with Blake Nordstrom in the Wall Street Journal. Oh, he's, our doctors are very optimistic. He should do fine. He goes in, he's dead in two weeks. You, you don't die from, um, uh, in two weeks from these cancers. You die from the treatment. The problem is these are famous guys. They, they, they bring attention to what's going on. Uh, think of all the people that aren't famous that are dying uh, fast from, from these things, right? Um, liver failure, kidney failure from the treatments. This is crazy, man. This is nuts. And nobody's doing anything about it. You know, it's, it's just, it's tragedy on top of tragedy. It's unbelievable. And it doesn't have to happen. This is the thing. It does not have to happen. You know, wow. it does happen. Okay, so contrasting everything that you just described with the treatments that we're using as far as standard of care and all the problems that come with them, if if you had your way, magic wand today, how would you how would you tell people to treat their cancer? Well, uh, we're we're starting clinics, small uh, uh, clinics where people can uh, come in. We have um, some of these small clinics springing up here and there. Um, so what happens is we, when the patient enters the clinic uh, complaining of some bleeding or lump or whatever, um, we look at that and you can do non-invasive imaging. Uh, you don't wanna poke the patient. You don't wanna take punch biopsies or anything like this. Uh, but often, the first thing you do is you take a comprehensive blood work and you'd be surprised how many, how the blood work is, is, a, is, a, is telling us what's going on metabolically in your body. And so many people have fungal infections, parasite infections, their, 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 uh, trigly all their blood work looks really whacked out. So, um, well, they got cancer by the way. Oh, you know, you, you're sick. Your bottom body is not metabolically healthy. And then you have to then put that, move that patient from, uh, you know, you try to get rid of the parasites. You try to get, uh, Maybe, maybe some chelation, maybe whatever it is to bring some level of, of homeostasis back. Then once the patient gets into a, a more homeostatic state, and then you begin uh, slowly entering into a low-carbohydrate diet. 
which can help the patient uh, start improving metabolic homeostasis slowly, not too aggressively. And then as the patient improves, the blood work looks better, the patient's overall health status improves, then you can go to more rigorous zero-carb diets and um, even into a ketogenic diet, even into water-only fasting. There's a lot of ways. You bring the blood sugars down and the ketones up into this state of nutritional therapeutic ketosis. And as we published in our big press pulse paper, then the oncologist or the, the physician, the attending physician, would then administer uh, drugs in low dose that would target the glutamine. There's no diet that can target the glutamine. So you need drugs, but the drugs can be used in very small quantities, dosage, timing, and scheduling to slowly degrade the tumor while the rest of the body is getting healthier and healthier. So we're not putting this patient into, into a, a, a tremendous stress. We're improving the physiology and health and well-being of the patient while we are slowly degrading the cancer by depriving the tumor cells of the very two fuels that they need while enhancing fuels that the tumor cells can't use but provide the rest of the body uh, with energetic health which are the ketone bodies. We evolved to burn ketone bodies. It keeps our mitochondria in normal cells super healthy. The tumor cell mitochondria can't use it. The tumor cell can't use ketones. And the two fuels that you are depriving them of are absolutely essential, okay? Makes perfect sense. And the science and the biochemistry that we've done all validate this, right? Now, here's another thing. If you keep the glucose low, the body, all the normal cells in our body, which, you, which can use glucose, through the glycolysis system, see glucose lowering. They can burn ketones and fatty acids, but they will burn the glucose. Now, the glucose is absolutely essential for the cancer cell. It's not an essential metabolite for the normal cell, but the normal cell will upregulate its want of glucose. So you're now using your normal cells to compete directly against the cancer cells, putting them at a competitive disadvantage while the specific drugs are killing the tumor cells and not harming the normal cells. Incredible. Unbelievable, right? Incredible. I just told you, it's incredible. It works. It works great. Problem is you can't make a buck on it yet. So until, no, so until somebody figures out how to make a buck on what I just told you, it's not going to be used. So um, listen, if I had cancer, is exactly what I just told you is what I would do. Mm. And then one of the key drugs, Don, 6-deoxynorleucine, which was used in cancer clinics in the past at too high of a concentration and not done with the full spectrum of things that I just mentioned, it wasn't used anymore. It said, oh, it might be too toxic. Everything can be toxic if used in the inappropriate way. What do you think? Radiation is not toxic? That's right. What do you think? Temozolomide is not? All these crazy drugs they're giving us. CAR-T immunotherapy is not toxic? You're lucky you survive it. So, so, um, so this argument that, oh yeah, well, why don't you want to use this uh, this drug? Well, uh, well, it might be too toxic. You, you don't you don't want to use it because you can't make a buck on it. That's the bottom line. That's crazy. So, yeah. That's so crazy. what? what people and the people just get just get herded like sheep into these into these medical schools into these oncology centers, and they suffer so much, and they die many of them. And before they die, and as I said, it's like it's like waterboarding these people. I mean, so I have had some cancer patients tell me, J.J. Tracon with his kidney cancer, what he went through is worse than waterboarding. And when I asked him, I said, J.J., would you have rather been waterboarded or go through the standard of care like you did and try to survive? He said, I'd rather be waterboarded. So um, 
I mean, this is what we're doing to our people. I mean, it's nuts. It's nuts. I, 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 what am I supposed to say here? I mean, I, I, I write the papers. I clearly show what needs to be done, how to do it, publish case reports showing people that should have been dead or alive. And oh, we don't believe it. Uh, so what are you going to do? I don't know. It's so wild. It's so wild. We asked Travis Christofferson this question, which I'll ask you. Most treatments that you do, there's like a pro and then there's like cons. And he was reflecting on ketones being this magic kind of thing that like it's beneficial in the one way because you're lowering your glucose and it's beneficial the other way because you're increasing ketones. And like yeah. it's it's it hits all those levels. And then let's say that it makes your cancer treatment better, but you also lose 20 pounds of fat and maybe your blood pressure goes down. And there's all these other things, everything you were talking about earlier, they could also improve. Yes, yes, that's a disaster. That's a scary, scary thing. That is a scary, scary thing. Not for the patient, but for the industry. With a single kind of therapy that you're not only getting rid of the cancer, but many of the other comorbidities the individual had. That is like, very uh, scary uh, for an industry that's based, that's putting all of its eggs into chronic diseases. Because in one fell swoop, oh, by the way, this is what happened to Guy Tannenbaum. He had a, a, a terminal prostate cancer, and he went on these her- very long water-only fasts. He had high blood pressure, hypertension, type 2 diabetes, and prostate cancer, all of which went away during his uh, metabolic therapy for getting rid of the prostate cancer. This is devastating. I mean, you're you're losing you're 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 pulling the 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 resources for a whole industry, so you don't want this. What are, who's going to come out? You think Dana Farber and MD Anderson are going to come out and say let's do this? I mean, they're, they'll never do this. NIH is giving all these million dollar grants to study epiphenomena of these cancer cells. I mean, this is like a crazy thing here. But yet the people don't seem. There's no concerted. There's no concern on the part of the population. Wow. So what what we have done is we have fragmented the cancer industry into oh I'm a I I'm going to run for lung cancer I'm going to bicycle for brain cancer I'm going to walk for breast cancer uh, they're all the same man all these cancers are very very similar they can't survive without glucose and glutamine and they can't burn ketones I mean we're testing it in the lab all the time we we we're, we're shocked about this wow. then people people come out and say oh no cancers I read where somebody says cancer cells can burn ketones. Oh, yeah? Pull away the glucose and glutamine to see if they can burn the ketone. No, no, they can't burn ketones. They got glucose and glutamine. It looks like they might be burning ketones, but they're burning the glucose and glutamine. We have never found a cancer cell that can live on ketones in the absence of glucose and glutamine. Wow. So, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I did all the experiments. I mean, I don't know what they want. You know, we're doing them all the time, publishing the papers. And, you know, we publish beautiful papers on showing how you simultaneously target glucose and glutamine using, using drugs and diets. And it works beautifully. You know, you keep these mice alive. They should be dead and they're picking them up, uh, going, living far longer than you'd expect. Little kids, I, I feel so bad for all these little kids. You see them in the hospitals there, uh, you know, especially the brain cancer kids. And they're always bald. You know, I told you, when anytime you see a bald cancer patient, that person is being treated by somebody that doesn't understand the biology of the disease. And then they have these institutions, these cancers, they have to shave your head to make you in, in alliance with the cancer patient. I mean, okay, we're going to be, we have to, sh- to raise money, I'm going to shave the hair off my head uh, so I can be, well, what are you doing? This is stupid, man. You know, shouldn't, you're trying to kill cancer cells, not make yourself bald. I mean, metabolic therapy targets precision targeting of cancer cells 
while enhancing the health and vitality of the normal cells. And you and nobody wants it. Yep. Yep. I mean, you can't sell it. It's absolutely chilling yep. when you describe all of that. I've heard you talk about cancer as a financial generating disease. It, it, it oh, yeah. it's mind blowing. And then when when we were off air talking about you know some of the things we were going to talk about, and I asked you specifically what has changed in cancer research and treatment in the last you know 18, 20 months since we last talked, you said profit margins. Profit margins have gotten better. It's, oh, yeah. it's just it's chilling. What what kind of profit is worth that amount of suffering? Like do, do people not like sleep at night like what money is not worth that oh yeah it is it's, it's worth it for <laughs> for the industry are you kidding me uh absolutely money first patient second it's under it's well they don't want to talk about it i had one of my students uh look at the interaction between the food industry and the pharmaceutical industry massive cross-pollination you give them bad food they get sick and you make drugs to, to, to i mean it is a big you're talking about a multi billion trillion dollar industry here yeah. so the economy of the don't forget um the business of america is business president was it wilson or one of the presidents that was what he said business of america is business so if business first and if we can find a drug that really helps cancer patients and we can make a, a good profit on it everybody's happy yeah but but, but we got 1600 people a day dying every day the survival needle is not moving we have been have not moved this since uh, pre even President Nixon's 1971 war on cancer. President Biden's moonshot, he calls it the moonshot. Uh, we're going to put all this money into cancer because there are Democrats and Republicans, everybody can agree that cancer is not good. We're going to put millions of dollars into immunotherapies based on the somatic mutation theory. Therefore, it's not going to work. Don't they know that? I keep telling them that it's not going to work. Get over it. Oh, but we have this guy over here like Jimmy Carter. Whoa, look at little Jimmy. You know, he's a phenom. I have to grant you. I mean, the guy should have been dead, but he's alive. But everybody wants to be like Jimmy Carter. And and so many of them are dying. They're not like Jimmy Carter. So uh, a metabolic therapy can bring the majority of people into a higher state of health without the toxicity. Is it easy? No. It requires a lot of personal discipline on the part of the patient. So the patient today goes to the, the, the uh, cancer center and sits there in a chair with an infusion of drugs. And then he goes and gets massively radiated or whatever they're going to do to him. And uh, he's, no, he's not a participant. He's a bystander in his own treatment. Okay. When you do metabolic therapy, you are now a participant in your outcome. You are not a bystander anymore. You are a participant. So the out, your outcome depends on your participation and compliance with the program. And you are educated at the same time you are being treated. Yeah. And the oncologist yeah. is educating you because he understands. And in medical schools, we're not talking about it. So we're turning out legions and legions of physicians that know nothing or very little uh, about how we use nutrition as part of the therapeutic modality. Yeah. You see, so we have a problem here. Yeah. So it's an educational problem. It's a financial problem. All these problems come together. But apparently the society says that's okay. Mm. Business as usual. Yeah. Let's run for breast cancer. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's interesting. We talked about this last time as well. Somebody might look at the things that I choose to eat in a diet, largely carnivorous diet, very, very low in carbohydrate. And they might agree. And they might say, you know what, that's really, really difficult. And that's really challenging. But I also have to say all of those other things sound more challenging than eating eggs and steak the way that I do most days. And so I wish more people. Well, you know, it, it, it's not easy. 
I, I mean, my students do it and I've done it. I've done a three day fast. It's horrible. I mean, I don't like it. You know, you go cold turkey and on, 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 oh my God. You know, as I, as I say, you go for a week and you start looking at your pet in a different way. You know, uh, um, you, 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 it's not easy. People don't, people don't like to be hungry. Um, and they say, well, I'm not, I have to wait three weeks before my body comes into this new real reality that I'm not going to be so hungry. But um, Athanasius, even Julio, my, my physician colleague from Greece, who, who kept the guy, the, the lung cancer guy alive for all these years, he used a very interesting Mediterranean type ketogenic diet. So the patient was quite adherent uh, to this, um, you know, but, you know, eat, eating big tomahawk ribeyes and, and, and eggs and bacon and salmon uh, with Bernays sauce on it, uh, you know, it sounds delicious, but, you're, but you don't have a, a bread and you don't have rice and you don't have potatoes and, and, and you're just eating that. And all of a sudden your body starts to, it's like a drug addiction. Carbohydrates are like a drug addiction. But, but now it's good if you want to get really fit for a short period of time, you want to bring yourself back into a nice, a better, a better state, lose a little weight, feel a little bit better. Uh, but long-term, I think it's going to be hard for the majority of people. That's why our plan for managing cancer involves this together with specific drugs that work synergistically with the new metabolic state so that we can manage the disease effectively in a six to eight month period, which is not much different than what they do for the standard of care. Uh, but bring this patient back into a new state of health and, and, and now put the brain, the patient's brain and say, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I can do this. That doesn't mean you can never have a pizza or a jelly donut again right. for the rest of your life. But it means that you would not have jelly donuts three times a week or pizzas three times a week. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, that's so a great there, point. There has to be some, has to be some personal discipline if you want to stay alive. Yeah. Now, and, and, I'm, and you don't force this on anybody. You offer it to them. That's right. You tell them you have the standard of care, immunotherapy, radiation therapy, chemotherapy, or you have metabolic therapy. Why don't you, and sometimes you can make a hybrid between the two of them. So, so there's going to become a lot of options for the cancer patients, but they need to be told about it. Yeah. And they, they can't be just discounted when they come into the doctor with those three questions right. because it gets the doctor pissed off. But you know, the, what, what the objective of the, of the questions is to let the patient know that the oncologist who's treating them doesn't know any, doesn't know what the biology of the disease is. That's the eye opener. Yeah. You know, it not really to get is. him angry. Even if he does get angry, it's to open his eyes that what are you talking about? I never heard of this before. Whose fault is that? It's your fault of your training. You train. You weren't trained to know about that. That's right. Now, yep. when you're trained to know about it and you don't use it, that's negligence. Yep. So, um, so I mean, so we're talking about a lot of important issues here. Yeah. These are huge, huge issues. They are. Okay. <laughs> they are, and you're right. They're they're so important. This is your life. This is the life of your family. This is your quality of life. And so, based on all of that, my very last question for you is: Are you optimistic or are you pessimistic about our future with this? Oh, I'm very optimistic. Because, because uh, I, I think that the word will get out. I mean, you can't put the lid on this problem for too much longer. People don't, like you said, nobody wants to get irradiated and poisoned. I mean, who's, who's lining up to get, oh, I can't wait to get my, my 15th uh, burning sensation, you know, or, oh my, you know, I'm, so, I'm just barely on death. Now they're going to give me one more. I can't wait. You know, th this is nuts. They don't want this. People do not want this. They're just not told about the alternative. So once they understand the alternative, they're going to knock on the doors for the doctors, the oncologists. I want metabolic therapy. 
Well, I'm sorry, we don't do that. Oh, thank you very much. I'll go where they do do it. And there are clinics that are opening up, believe me. There's a lot of physicians, very good people that want their patients to be healthy. They're, they're, they, they are also participatory. There's a lot of good physicians that want to see this happen. They just feel that they need more training. They need to understand this, but they don't want the system to tell them you can't do that. Yeah. And the standard of care should have never been written in granite as it has been, because that writing the standard of care perpetuates the problem that we continue to have. So that you've got to, the system is locked in to a standard of care that needs to be, have, have flexibility. You know, I don't, I'm not saying everybody should go out and get metabolic therapy, but, but if they know about it, it should be offered for those that have the personal discipline and can comply with it and want to try this on their own. Yep. You know, and some people don't believe me. There are people, ah, no, I don't want to do that. I, I want the radiation and the chemo. Okay. We have that. We're not taking that away from you. It'll always be there for you. And they'll be giddy when the rare patient comes in and says, I want radiation. So, uh, um, and radiation is good for certain types of cancers that are very localized and the surgeon cannot get with the knife, uh, uh, a precision radiation beam on a specific spot is okay. But when it's cancer spreading, metastatic cancer, forget it. It's not going to work. So none of these things. The metastatic cancer cell is absolutely dependent on glucose and glutamine for survival. It's a macrophage. We know exactly what the biology of the, of the tumor cell is. We know what it eats and we know how it survives. Now we know how to kill it. And nobody's doing uh, the, the sensible way of killing these cells. But you, oh, know, you we, are doing Yeah, we keep work. pushing. Keep you, pushing. Keep pushing. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, if people listen to this and this is the first time they're hearing about this and this can change a life of a listener, then it's all worth it. And you are the one doing that work and getting this message out, which we absolutely love. It's always such an honor to talk to you, Dr. Thomas Safery. Where do you want people to go to find you and connect with you and your work? Well, I mean, uh, we have our, pu our publications in open access. A lot of YouTube videos on our stuff uh, are out there. There's going to be a big movie coming, uh, I think, next year. It's at, it's at the Sun, Sundance Film Festival. Oh, wow. It's a, document, it's a documentary. Travis is in the movie. It's called The Cancer Revolution. And it's all based on the, on the understanding of cancer as a metabolic disease, not a genetic disease. So um, I think once the movie gets out, uh, more, all we need is like uh, a celebrity who has a, diagnosed with a terminal cancer and says, I want to go metabolic. And that celebrity is not dead anymore. It's back working or whatever. Uh, you get a couple of, all of a sudden it's like a grass fire. Everybody wants this. I mean, it's just like, the problem right now is that can't, oh, a lot of people say, I want metabolic therapy, but my doctor doesn't know anything about it. What should I do? And so we have this tremendous uh, gap in, in people trained to do it. So I know what to do, how to do it, but there's no one trained to do it. I can't treat anybody. I'm not a physician. I just know what a physician should do to appropriately treat, the, treat their patient. He has to be the one. And if he doesn't know anything about it, and he, he's not allowed to do it because the system does not allow, then we have this conundrum. We have this, this conundrum. I want to do metabolic therapy. Nobody's trained to do it. And, 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 and the system won't allow me to do it. So, so we have that problem. How we get through that, we have to change the system. The system needs to change. Yeah. And when the system changes, patients will benefit. It'll be a great, so I'm very optimistic. I mean, pessimistic for the tragedy that we're having, but optimistic that we don't have to have that and we have a clear strategy 
to uh, drop cancer death rates by what President Biden would like in a far shorter period of time. So we can do it. We can absolutely do it. That's amazing. Well, again, I just think your work and everything you're putting out there is really helping people with their awareness of this and giving them at least those ideas that they can talk about. And you're right. Hopefully over time, people are getting trained in this. That movie, um, that sounds amazing. Sundance is, you know, 45 minutes down the road from me. So I'll definitely be checking that out this year. I'm certainly glad that those kinds of things are getting out a little bit more. And you're such a big part of that. So Dr. Thomas Seyfried, thank you so very much for everything that you do, for all of your research and for getting that message out. We so much appreciate you and we're honored that you were able to come back on our show oh great well it's nice to be back casey and uh take care of yourself now huh you look pretty healthy (laughs) so do you man you look great (laughs) you look like you're thriving (laughs) well thanks again we appreciate it and this has been another episode of balanced body radio As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It has been such a joy to go on this journey now that it's been two years of doing these episodes and all the amazing conversations that we've had with thought leaders and to be able to share this message around the world with literally hundreds of thousands of people has been so amazing. If you haven't already, please go over to Apple, leave us a rating and review as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and touch more lives of people out there. I am so excited to announce that we are launching the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. This is something that I have been working really hard at for a very long time and something I am very proud of. Now that we have done over 300 episodes, our content can be a little bit overwhelming if you really want to learn about one particular topic and really zero in on that topic. So that is exactly what I have done. I have gone through all of our episodes, taken the very best clips all about one particular topic and put them into long form very informative and concise episodes called the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. That can be found on our brand new Patreon page, which I'm really excited to announce as we have all kinds of different offers there and different tiers. We're including early releases of our show, Boundless Body Radio. We typically keep about 15 to 20 episodes scheduled at any given time. So we have options there where you can have early access to those. We are also offering group and one-on-one coaching and also access to these premium podcast episodes, the Balanced Body Radio Premium Podcast. We have three that are launching right now, and I will be making a new one every other week. And we believe that we are providing these for a very, very high value. So please check us out on Patreon, check the link in the notes to be able to get there. And thank you as always for listening to Balanced Body Radio.